Welcome to Freeman on Real Estate, the podcast about the hard facts behind what's going on in real estate. Realtor Mike Freeman of Coldwell Banker, who holds an MBA in finance, draws from his financial background and deep network to bring the most value for anyone looking to buy, sell, rent, or invest. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Freeman on Real Estate. This is David Yaz of the Boston Podcast Network alongside me, Realtor Mike Freeman. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great, Dave. How are you? Good. Weather's finally getting nicer. It's um, still a little chilly in the studio here, but we have hot real estate talk to come. So today's episode, we're going to talk about something that I think will interest anyone who's looking to make a move when it comes to their home, and it's why you don't have to wait. So this is interesting, Mike, because I've been through this a few times in my life when you're looking to either upgrade or even scale down or whatever you're doing in moving your, your home is a tricky interplay because you get to time the thing so that in a perfect world, your new place is there, purchased, ready to go as soon as you move out, and you gotta, but you got to close on your home, and it causes some people to delay and wait, and well, I got to do this before I do this. I got to find a, my new place before I sell the old place. That's what we're going to talk about today. So where does it make sense to start on this, Mike? Well, I think that what you just said is something that really makes a lot of sense, which is that in any market, it's going to be stressful because if you're buying and selling at the same time, you are ultimately trying to get both transactions to happen on the same day. That is the way that you'd like it to occur. And it's it's interesting how often it actually does. And I think going into the process, people think, well, there's no way that's going to happen. It happens more often than it doesn't. However, in a market like this where we have such an imbalance and we have so much more demand that we have supply, mm. I understand that people are even more concerned than normal. And so what's happening is that people often don't want to list until they have an offer that's accepted. So I have three of these right now and they're going to go with me to sell their house, but they won't list yet. Because they want to be sure they've got someplace to go. Exactly. Okay. So there are things they can do that are to their advantage that would make it a lot easier for them to list their house and have and have the confidence that they're not going to end up in that situation. So that's that's what I want to talk about. What can you do to avoid that situation yet still list your house? Mm-hmm. So one of them, and I did this myself recently, is you can have your agent put right in the listing in MLS and it gets carried onto every single website out there subject to sellers finding suitable housing. Mm. So we do see a lot of that. And it's something that if you put it in there, you're protecting yourself, but you have to make sure you carry it through and that your attorney carries it through and puts it in what we have in Massachusetts. We have two contracts. So in the offer to purchase, when you get an offer from a buyer or multiple offers, the buyer may or may not put that in there. In fact, it's probably more likely than not that they won't because they don't want it to be subject to to you finding suitable housing. So you want to make sure that before, once you choose an offer that you want to accept, you want to make sure that you write that in there. Mm-hmm. Because the attorneys get that contract and then they prepare the next contract, which is the purchase and sale. And you want to make sure that you're protected again, that your attorney has protected you and put that in there. Now, Even in this market, a buyer is not going to let you just put a blanket statement like that in there 
and have it be forever. They're not going to say, oh, yeah, take your time. Take a year or two. I don't care. That's right. not going to happen. They, so, they need someplace to live, too. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And yeah. even even if they're renters, even if they're living, even if it's like a person living with parents, you're buying for a reason. You want to get in your place. So there's probably not going to be, it's not going to be open-ended. Not probably. It, it's not going to be open-ended. So what's probably going to happen is that the attorneys, well, actually everybody is involved in negotiating a period of time that is agreeable to everybody. So maybe it's 90 days from signing the PNS. Maybe it's 120. It could be anything. But it's what both sides agree to. And obviously as a seller, I always tell sellers, you're, you're in a position of strength. You're driving the bus. You don't have to accept any offer you don't want to accept. And it could be because you're not getting your price. It could be because you're not getting your terms. And part of the terms is what we're talking about right now, which is how long you have to find suitable housing. So that's one thing you can do. Mm -hmm. Another thing you can do is you can just extend the close. You can just have a long closing period. So let's say two people agreed today that they're going to do a transaction and the buyers, the buyer, the seller, seller, it's agreed. They're going to move forward. Normally 30 to 45 days is how long a closing would take from beginning to end. But what you could do is you can make it longer. You can make it, you could use, you could do 90 days. You could do 120 days. Again, it's just like what I was saying a minute ago. It's negotiable. It all comes back to that. Another thing you can do is called a lease back. And this could help sellers who really need, not just want, but need the money from the sale in order to purchase. So you could close within the 30 to 45 days and then do a lease back, meaning that you, as now the former seller, get to stay in the house for some period of time. And again, that's negotiable. It could be 60, it could be 90. And you would be paying, most likely, you as the former seller would be paying the new buyer rent. A year ago, oftentimes leasebacks were free. And mm. buyers would jump in and say, oh, I'll just you can stay here for free. Less likely now, but it could happen. It depends if the, if the if the seller gets ten offers, they may go back. They may have their realtor go back to all ten people and say, "We want a free lease back for ninety days." Mm-hmm. One out of the ten is likely to do it, but what's more likely than not is you're going to have a lease back. If you if you agree on a lease back, you're going to have to pay rent to the person who's purchasing your house. But again, you can buy yourself some time mm-hmm. if you do any of those options. Mm-hmm. The typical typical lease back is is about ninety days. I would say ninety days is probably the average. I depending on the situation, I might want to go for more if I was the seller. But one hundred and twenty, you start to get into a period that's a little excessive. If the seller ultimately only needs a lesser time, like thirty days, can that be worked out? In other words, or or will the seller need to pay rent for? Those 90 days as agreed. So usually what you do is you'd say on or before. Okay. And that would be another term that's negotiated, which is that, okay, say they've agreed on 90 days. What you would also likely agree to is that if the seller can close sooner than that, that you will close sooner than that. It could be six, like you say, it could be 30 days, it could be 60 days less than the 90. So usually that would be written into the contract as well, that 
if possible, the seller will will close or will move earlier. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good. Another another thing that you could do, and I realize this is not ideal for most people, but you could find some other type of housing if you're selling and buying. And if you have a period of time where you're going to have the closing for your sale, but you haven't found a place yet, nobody wants to move more than once. But unfortunately, life happens. And you may have a situation where you've maximized your price that you're going to get on your house and you're extremely happy with it. You get an offer that you say, I I can't refuse this offer. I know I don't have a new house yet. And I'm not going to be forced to buy a house just for the sake of buying a house and then have buyer's remorse in six months and wish I didn't do it. You could go into alternative housing. You could go into a Marriott extended stay. You could go with uh, what's more likely is people go to an apartment complex and they do month to month. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of month to month leases. And that's something that people could do. And I know it may not sound like something that that the listeners may want to do. But trust me, six months from now, five years from now, it's going to be a blip. And you're going to you're going to eventually end up in a house that you love. Yeah, as as I've lived in a couple apartment complexes in the area where where your neck of the woods, Mike. And if you don't know, it's become uh, very easy to lease these places within a couple days. And you the rent prices are typically right online. In other words, you can just go shopping immediately and you can see like the, the apartment complex I live in, the lodge in Foxborough. If you go on the lodge, foxborough.com or whatever it is, you can, you can go shopping and you can see here's a two bedroom. Here's um, here's a one bedroom. Here's what they're going for. Here's what day they're available. And usually there are some available immediately. Now, if you're only going to lease it for a couple months, you'll pay a little bit of a premium. But like you say, you're, 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 this is a major move going from one home to another home. It's probably a small price to pay to get where you want to go, right? Yeah, exactly. And one other thing you need to think about, we've talked about market timing in the past several times. What happens if you're one of the many people, like these three customers I have, that are not going to list their home until they have an offer accepted on a new home? What happens if the market tanks? What happens if it just goes mm-hmm. down? it doesn't go down 20%. Let's say it's not a crash, which is highly unlikely. But what if if prices go down by 10%? What if interest rates go up? They're forecasting now that interest rates are pretty much where they're going to be or they're going to go lower. Well, who knows? That may not happen. What if they go up to 9%, 10%? So if you sell now, what are you getting? And Yes, you'll be impacted on the buyer side as well, but I would rather have I'd rather have my money now. Mm. I would rather know what I'm going to get. I can accept any offer I want, not accept any offer I don't want. And once you accept an let's say your house does sell right away. Let's say it sells in 3 days. You're not going to be and I shouldn't say sell. You accept an offer. You're not accumulating days in the market because it's going to show that you're that an offer was accepted. So it's not as if you end up in any of these scenarios, you can accept an offer, do any of the, the four things that I just mentioned, and you're not accumulating days in the market because it's going to show that you're that you had 
that you accepted an offer as a seller of that home. Some people are worried, well, if I do that and I keep rejecting offers, what if it sits there for 60 days, 90 days? It's highly unlikely that you're not going to accept an offer within 60 or 90 days. So, and, and so this is having a domino effect. We're in a period of all-time low inventory. And every time we think inventory is low, a year later it's lower. Mm. And we don't anticipate that there's any way that could happen, and it keeps happening. So the the reason why there's a domino effect is let's just say it's just me and you, Dave. And mm-hmm. let's say we're both in situations where that I was just describing, where we're selling a house, but we're not going to list it with our agents until an offer is accepted. Inventory is obviously going to keep going down as more and more people like us do that. But let's just say that I decide to do one of the things that I just mentioned. And I decide, okay, I'm going to put my house in the market knowing that I can negotiate a longer close, knowing that I might be able to do a lease back, knowing that I can put in the contract that the that it's subject to the sellers finding suitable housing. It's still a seller's market. You still have the advantage. So if you put your house, if you're convinced that one of those things is the right thing for you, you can put your house in the market. So what happens then? Someone else sees that. Other buyers see that. Inventory is increased. So I do that. Maybe you do that, Dave. Right. Maybe Joe walking down the street does it. So there is a domino impact where as you have more and more people who do this, and you have to be comfortable with it. You have to be comfortable in your situation that you can do this. But there's risk everywhere. Mm. When, you're in the re- when you're in real estate and you're going to buy and you're going to sell or just do one of those, there's risk. And I sold my parents' house a few years ago. My father said to me, I want a guarantee. <laughs> and I said, Dad, there's no such thing as a guarantee. In life, I, there are no such no. things. Until it closes, right. you, you, could be, you could be a seller, and the day before the close, something catastrophic could happen. It's highly unlikely. But my point is you've got to take some risk. And you have to determine how much risk is too much risk for you. Mm-hmm. So you're right in that in in waiting to put your house on the market, although you might have reasons for being hesitant because it's a big decision. You're worried. What if you don't find the place that you want to move into? But if you're hesitating to do it, consider that whoever might be selling the house that you want might be hesitating too. <laughs> so yeah. it's almost like a for the greater good thing. So, and if you believe in karma a little bit, it's like, do the right thing. Don't wait. You're doing your part to keep that, the wheel, the real estate market sort of wheel spinning, if you will, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so I'm just here, Dave, to help society now. <laughs> Both um, of us are, right? But, but it's, it's, it's true. You are helping the greater good, but you're helping yourself because when you do that, other people are going to do that because inventory is going to go up. You're not going to be the only one. Other other people are going to do that, and there's going to be more available for you to choose from if you're doing something like that. It's just That's just how the market works. It's just how the math works. Now we're up to what everyone's favorite segment on the show is. Right, Mike? It's where, it's, it's where we learn a little bit more about the man behind Mike Freeman, the realtor, in this segment of More About Mike. More About Mike. More About Mike. More More About about Mike. Mike. 
Well, as we record this, the Celtics have just begun their triumphant playoff run. Let's hope it tri- it's triumphant by the time this podcast posts, of course. But it's uh, NBA playoff time, and that's uh, a big deal in Boston. And, Mike, I know you, you, you like I, grew up a, a rabid Celtics fan, so I thought it would be fun to just, just share most memorable Celtic moments. And I, there probably were a lot because we went through not one but two championship eras, if you will. So tell us what comes to mind, Mike. I know you're a huge fan. Yeah, thank you. So this is a, this is a great topic. It's a great question. So if I think about my favorite Celtics memory where I saw it in person, where I was at the Garden. Right. I was fortunate enough to be at the game when Larry Bird fell down and hit his head. Oh, yeah. Against Indiana in the playoffs and had to leave the game and then miraculously came back onto the court and in the fourth quarter, just started hitting shot after shot after shot, usually in the face of Chuck Person. <laughs> yeah. And it was just incredible to be there and to witness that. I mean, once he came on the court, nobody expected him to come back. He hit his head really hard. And they show that so many times on replays that my head hurts. Yeah. But it, it really it was it was incredible because he was so into it. He was so demonstrative and... Uh, he wasn't always like that, but you could tell he was just pumped, and he was on cloud nine, and everyone in the, everyone there and watching on TV felt that way too. Yeah, Chuck Person was a tremendous villain, right? Right, and he was what did they call him? The Rifleman, maybe, or something like that. I can't remember. It was it. Yeah, I think it, that's it, something like that. Something like that. But but he was he was a great player as an assassin, and he was. Great at playing the role of the villain. He would needle Larry Bird and everything. And I just remember I was looking for the clip. I don't think I'm going to be able to find it. But yeah, when he went out, I don't. Did you now? Do you remember? Did you think he was going to come back in the game? Oh no. Yes. Yeah, so no, I didn't. And, and you remember what this might have been? What you were about to say? Chuck Person just started mouthing off to everybody on the court, and yep. he's like, "Larry isn't here," and he used to do it to Larry. <laughs> but like, he thought, "Now I'm going to be the man, and I'm going to score all these baskets." And then, lo and behold, Larry returns and just puts it right in his face. Yeah, I just remember Marv Albert's voice, yeah. and saying, "Because I was watching at home, of course." And and here comes Larry yeah. Bird, and it was evoked memories of. Willis Reed on, right. the, on the Knicks and his triumphant return. But that that's a great one. And, uh, and it's cool that you have one that isn't necessarily a championship. I don't. I never went to any of the – I don't think I went to any. Actually, you know what? My, mine would probably be I was there the night Michael Jordan scored 63 points. Oh, you're at that game. Yeah. That was – and that was a playoff game, round, yeah. round one. And the Bulls were giving the Celtics all they could handle. The game went to overtime, and the Celtics ended up winning. So it was cool because I got to see – Jordan scores 63, but the Celtics win. And it's weird to think back at that moment that Michael Jordan had zero rings, zero titles. He was he was either a rookie or a second-year player, but well, we kind of knew the something was coming. So, he, And he had zero playoff wins. That's right. I think it was his second year. I mean, yeah. to, to think how many playoff wins he ended up with, 100? I don't know. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> and quickly, before we go, have you seen the new, the new movie, called Air, about the Air Jordan sneaker. No, I haven't, but it looks really... Have you seen it? Yeah, we'll have to get your review on the pod after you've seen it. It's it's very good. It's, it's I mean, this it's not like Oscar winning, but, I mean, what's not to like? It's it's Damon, it's Affleck, it's... What's interesting is, and I, this isn't a spoiler, but Michael Jordan is 
barely depicted in the movie because that's kind of not the point. The point is that these guys from Nike had this crazy idea that no one had tried before. And, right. But it's cool, and you get to see the Affleck as Phil Knight, kind of a curious fellow, and then Damon as this like dogged, kind of almost down on his luck, like middle executive for Nike doing his best to stay afloat and stumbles upon the most important shoe in history. You ever have uh, Air Jordans? I think I did back in the day, back in the eighties. <laughs> now, now I want the Jason Tatum sneakers, which are part of the Jordan Air Jordan line. Oh, is that right? Yeah, like it's yes, he has his own sneaker, but you know, even now, thirty years later, almost thirty years after Jordan came into the league, it's still part of the of the Michael Jordan Air Jordan line. Do you remember? This is a Celtics trivia question for you? Do you remember what shoe? was hawked and sort of colorfully demonstrated by Celtic D. Brown during the dunk contest. Oh, the pump. That's right. <laughs> yeah, he pumped, he pumped the back of he, his sneakers. Exactly. Oops, sorry, I gave you the wrong. There we go. You got it right. Um, yeah, he. <laughs> it was when he won the dunk contest that year, every, before each dunk, he reached down and pumped up yeah. his shoe. It was He had such a good sense of humor, and, and, man, he deserved to win that dunk contest too. So, And then he did it. With putting his arm in front, putting his arm in front of his eyes, That's so he couldn't right. see the blind dunk. Yeah, incredible. So, thanks for listening to Freeman on Real Estate, Mike. Before we go, remind people the best way to get in touch with you. Sure, you can call me anytime six one seven seven five nine one five one three, or send me an email at mike dot freeman at anymoves dot com. We encourage you to follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your pod. We'll see you again in two weeks. Thanks for listening to Freeman on Real Estate.